You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 317th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 983rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of November 28th, 2023. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. This week's banner moment occurred on Sunday when the final seconds ticked off the clock to cement Indiana's 13-point win over Harvard. The victory moved Indiana to 5-1 on the season and greatly increased the likelihood of the Hoosiers avoiding a bad non-conference loss. And while avoiding a bad non-conference loss isn't usually something to get all that excited about, I mean, it's kind of what we should expect, right? With this team in this season of college basketball, I do think it has some meaning. While the Hoosiers were drubbed by 20 points in their one matchup against a top 100 team so far this season, against number three, UConn, and while the Hoosiers have dropped from number 50 to number 75 in Ken Palm over the first month of the season, the lack of a bad loss means Indiana enters the most difficult part of its pre-January schedule looking to pick up resume-anchoring wins rather than simply trying to make up for a resume-torpedoing loss. That's a big difference. No, none of the wins over number 232 Florida Gulf Coast or 130 Wright State or number 157 Louisville or number 135 Harvard are all that impressive. But for a team that seems to be struggling with almost every aspect of the game except for post-scoring, continuing to find ways to win matters, especially when you look around just the Big Ten Conference and see results like these. Maryland lost to number 140 Davidson. Michigan lost to number 136 Long Beach State. Michigan State lost to then number 136 James Madison. That could have very easily been IU. And if you think sagging computer rankings puts added pressure on IU to perform well over the next couple weeks, imagine how much that pressure would be ratcheted up with a sub-130 loss on the resume and questions surrounding the availability of your senior point guard. Warts and all, the winning of actual games still matters, and we can't forget that even while lamenting this team's middling efficiency on a possession-by-possession basis. Indiana now faces two important Big Ten games against Maryland and Michigan, both sub-50 foes who have felt the sting of defeat that IU has avoided. Then it's on to Atlanta to face number 16 Auburn, then home for number 5 Kansas, in the Hoosiers' final two opportunities for a non-conference win that will impress the selection committee. Win three or four of these games, and Indiana will really be rolling, obviously. But even if IU can just capture any combination of two wins out of these four games, IU fans will have a reason to feel good heading into its trio of cupcake games at the end of December. That's against number 197, Moorhead State, number 238, North Alabama, and number 237, Kennesaw State. And look, this IU team almost lost to number 330, Army, so we can't take any win for granted, but the Hoosiers have at least given us reason to believe they can take care of business in such games, which I suppose is something. Now, over the next few weeks, we'll get a chance to see if they can compete with and beat NCAA tournament-level teams. 
Hopefully so, because through six games, even if five of them are wins, this team just isn't playing NCAA tournament-level basketball. Yes, there is still plenty of time left in the season, but not as much as before. Friday marks the official transition into Phase 2 of the schedule. Phase 1 went fine from a results perspective, even if we question some of the process. In Phase 2, only the results matter. The Hoosiers now need to be ready to step up their game against better competition, with or without Xavier Johnson. Alrighty, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Coach Tonsoni is off. Uh, Andy is doing some homework with his daughter, so he will be here in a little bit. But here with me right now, ladies and gentlemen, he is a senior writer for The Big Lead, someone who will have no problem laughing at you from San Diego while you shiver through winter in a less beautiful climate, and a man who saw Clay Helton's name being tossed about by national reporters as a potential replacement for Tom Allen and decided to YOLO his own name in for consideration because why not? Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. Ryan, what is your rant? Uh, first off, I am as qualified as Clay Helton to take the Indiana head football coaching job. So let's just go ahead and stick that one outside and shut the door on it. I was um, shocked when I saw that name circulate. I was like, yeah, it's, it's a mid-major guy who's this? been, yeah, it's a mid-major guy who's been, who's doing okay there. Who's been at a big school. He was going to get connected to Indiana. I, I wasn't that surprised to see it. Uh, although it did give me a shiver down my spine when I did, um, we're coming off the one game this year so far that I think Indiana did what it was supposed to not in the first half. The first half was not pretty, but you saw the end result. You saw the way they played in the second half and you finally felt like, okay, that's how much they were supposed to beat that team by. And that's how much better they should be than that team. Now the defense started to look a little bit better. Uh, Harvard still hit nine threes on them, which is a concern. Uh, But I think that in general, IU looked better as that game went along and you started to think, okay, this is what this can look like at its best. They still need to hit three pointers. They still need to find a way to get shooters. Good looks to continue to get shooters. Good looks where they're comfortable. You know, if you have an open shot, it doesn't matter if you're not comfortable taking it. They need their guys to be comfortable taking shots. And right now it clearly looks like they are not. Uh, They also need to stop taking so many long twos and standing on the line. I think that that would be uh, uh, the first, uh, uh, thing to work on in practice is that half step back that can get you an extra point. Um, but I think that, it, you know, it's it's easy for Indiana fans to sort of breathe this eye of relief and feel a little bit better heading into the Maryland game, because I think that after the performances against Army, Wright State, Florida Gulf Coast's first game of the season, weird things happen, but they should have beat Army by more than they did. They should have dominated Wright State a little more than they did. UConn was a disaster. They looked terrible against a top five team. They're not close to that level right now. Louisville, you expected them to win. That program right now is a dumpster fire. Um, and so Harvard was the first time you're sort of like, okay, that that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what they're supposed to do. So heading into Maryland, you can feel a little better about it. We will learn a lot about this team on Friday, especially if Xavier Johnson is not playing. Is there actual guard depth? Can other guys step up? Because guess what? You're going to have injuries throughout the season. Xavier Johnson has been injured throughout his career. He might miss games in the Big Ten at some point for something else. What can these guys do? And and how can they play? And who steps up? And and that's going to be, I think, the it, it's easily the most important game so far because it's a Big Ten game and it's a measuring stick against a team that's kind of expected to be around where Indiana is in the conference. How do you stack up this early? So I, I'm fascinated to see where it goes. 
Uh, I could be very yelly on Friday if it doesn't go well. If not, yeah, we'll probably be pretty happy with it with the outcome. Yes, just win, baby. Get off, get off on the right foot in Big Ten play for sure. Um, all right, we'll get Andy's opening statement when he comes. By the way, what was your plan? I mean, if Andy couldn't be here, and I originally thought I was going to be 15, 20 minutes late, would you have just kind of sat here by yourself, or would you have launched the show? Yeah, I'd have. Oh, I, I would have. I would have launched the show and just said, just ask people about their day. Uh, <laughs> no graphics, no uh, sound, no music, no, no music, nothing. Just let's, hey guys, let's, <laughs> just I'm not giving a TED talk. Let's uh, let's just talk. It's campfire. This thing. That's right. All right, we might have to do that sometime. Campfire with Ryan Phillips. We'll just when the rest of us can't be there. I mean, it, you just come. That'd be the kind of thing we're halfway through. I'd be like, folks, if you're still listening, please let me know why. Like, <laughs> just the novelty of it for the first time. Yeah, I mean that's that's why people would be there. All right, here's what we have in store this week. We'll get Andy's opening thoughts when he gets here. We're going to talk about the schedule that's coming up. Then we're going to play a little game of buy or sell with some of these early season trends. You know, it's only six games. It's a small sample size. What are we buying? What are we selling? And then we got a bunch of good mailback questions, mailback questions from our Substack and Discord subscribers. So we will get to those. But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. Yes, this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network and Coach's Closet, sponsored by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere. And if you are listening to this live, or if you happen, happen to listen to the podcast on Tuesday night, you can still go get the 20% off deal. It's the Black Friday deal rolled into Cyber Monday. So if you go to homefieldapparel.com and use that promo code Cyber Monday, you will get 20% off. That's 20% off the entire site, your entire order. So it is a great way to save. Outside of that, you can always use our promo code HOME23, which will give you 15% off your first order. But this is why you want to be following Homefield Apparel on Twitter, subscribe to their email updates, subscribe to their text updates, because there are little flash sales every now and then where you can really save a bunch. And you're especially going to want to pay attention to those now, because with your Christmas shopping coming up, homefieldapparel.com is one of those websites where you can knock off like a bunch of people on your list because they have something for everybody. They've got over 150 colleges and universities with unique, interesting vintage logos printed on comfortable, stylish uh, garments. And even if you're shopping for a non-sports fan, I'm sure that person likes a comfortable shirt or a crew neck or a hoodie or whatever. Homefield has their core collection too, where you can get these comfortable uh, shirts, hats, whatever it is, uh, and give those to folks. So the great thing about Homefield Apparel, there is something for everybody. And as a bonus, it's an IU business. Came up through the Kelly School of Business, still based in Indianapolis. So go support our friends at homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code Cyber Monday for twenty percent off if it's still available. Even if you're listening to this on Wednesday, you might just check. Hey, maybe they forgot to turn the the promo code off. Otherwise, after that, it's home two three for fifteen percent off again. Homefieldapparel.com. All right, Ryan. So let's look at this upcoming schedule that Indiana has going. And look, even in the offseason, when we were questioning how good this team would be, but certainly thought they would be better than the 75th best team in Ken Palm, this looked like a difficult schedule. Even with Xavier Johnson fully healthy, this looked like a very difficult portion of the schedule where you've got uh, Maryland and Michigan. As I said, you know, neither one of those teams has been great to open the season. Uh, Maryland currently 59th in Ken Palm. They are 3-3 three and three with losses to Davidson, UAB, and Villanova. 
Uh, and then Michigan, as I mentioned, they have the loss to Long Beach State. They are currently 54th. They are 4-3 and three with losses to Long Beach State, to Memphis, and to Texas Tech. So both of these teams have been very up and down. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, joining us now, perfect timing, because he can help us talk about these teams, is the great Andy Oh, Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan was feeling the pressure like I was going to kick it to him. Hey, tell us about Maryland and what they're doing on the court this year. Uh, but we have Andy here for that. But Andy, before we get to talking about these teams, would you like to uh, provide an opening statement? Your thoughts on Indiana basketball at the current state? Uh, I mean, I just finished some really tough uh, seventh grade uh, math homework, so I'm not really in a position to talk about very much of anything Weren't else. Were you uh, a math major? No, it actually was. It actually wasn't that bad. I joked with okay. her before I came down here. I was like, uh, "Yeah, you're still doing stuff that I remember how to do, so you're in, you're in good shape that I can actually help you." Uh, no, I, I don't think I have too much to say different than you know, kind of what we talked about uh, after the show on or after the game on on Sunday. I think it provided enough reasons for optimism that um, you can see strides being made. But you know, I, I think you're just trying to figure out. Um, you know, in some ways, I think a lot of in a lot of cases, we've, the team probably was not as uh, as far along the learning curve, if you will, um, as we kind of hope they they would. And and so now you're trying to recalibrate and figure things out, and really just looking for growth. And I think you saw that. Um, and so I think at this point, feel okay about that and um, figure things out. Now the the next question is what what comes up in this tough stretch. What's the status of Xavier Johnson? Some of those kinds of things that will make it tough for for this team to be there. Um, and and I think there there've not been a lot of I don't, I'm going to say middle of the road games. I, I guess for lack of a better term, right? Like the UConn game was a team way up here that is you know one of the best in the country. And even though the other games are of a higher caliber than what we've probably played in a lot of other non conferences, where you know teams I think are a little bit a little bit higher caliber uh, and Louisville is, you know, sort them out as best you can uh, as, as you go through that. You know, now you've really got some of these teams who are not clearly demonstrably better than IU and not really as low a level as the other teams that you have. And so it'll be a good, uh, interesting test in these couple of big 10 games. I think as it sounds like what you guys were talking about here is, you know, neither of these teams has necessarily set the world on fire uh, thus far. Uh, and I think Michigan, yeah, I think Maryland certainly has played below what uh, was expected of them pretty consistently, quite honestly. Uh, and then, um, y- you know, Michigan, I think, had that, you know, the, the St. John's game, uh, I think, gave people, you know, felt like, well, maybe the, this team is going to be better than than what people thought. And, and that may, uh, may not necessarily be the case uh, now as you go through it. So, um everybody's a, a lot of learning about these teams in the big 10 uh, right now. And the, and the conference as a whole has performed really poorly. Um, I don't know Seems that like that we really start every year that way. It's... I see. I, I would disagree. I think typically the league has performed well enough in the non-conference that it really makes nearly every game a good win and, uh, you, you know, an, an opportunity for a good win. And in this, in this season, really outside I mean, it's of real Purdue, bad, as much as I hate to say it, um, has just done nothing. And I think more than anything in years past, they've really avoided bad losses. That's, that's true. And they haven't really done that this year. Um, you know, it's one <laughs> thing where you've kind of dropped most of the 50, 50 type games. Um, but you've also dropped some others that I think just in general, uh, 
are going to make it tough to pick up as many good wins in the league. And I think ultimately hurts the number of bids the league gets in the long run, at least would be my guess based on performance this year versus what it, what it's been in years past. Yeah. It's, I guess it just seems like every year there's at least two top teams that disappoint early. It's usually Michigan state. Uh, cause his, those teams get better as the year goes on. I think Michigan, the last well, the Kings of November has, certainly have not been disappointing early. They're always ready yeah, to go from. Yeah. From the always <laughs> love that. Um, but one thing Andy said that's really interesting is he said that these teams that Indiana is facing are finally they're they're facing teams that are not demonstrably better than Indiana. At the same time, Indiana is not demonstrably better than them, which is why they're great measuring sticks at this point of the season. I mean, it really is. Uh, I think all three teams, the Michigan, Maryland, and Indiana, you're just kind of like, what are they? Like, this is where the soft, are they? Get- marshmallowy middle of the Big Ten. Right yes, here. like where are you they going to slot in? Like, yes. if you told me Michigan's going to finish in the bottom third, I'd be like, yeah, I could see that. You know, Maryland, same thing. Indiana, same thing. But if you also said, no, they're going to get it together and finish in the top four, I could completely see that either way. Um, I think it's three teams really trying to find themselves, and this isn't a great. With that being the situation, it's a great opportunity for Indiana to get itself together. And and possibly steal two games here. I mean, one's you know one Michigan. You know you're on the road, so you assume pros- possibly a significant disadvantage there. But you're at home against Maryland. I mean, you got a real good chance to steal a Big Ten game early while you're still trying to figure it out. Because we've long said we don't think this team will be on the same page across the board until January. So you steal a Big Ten game now, it's it's found money. It feels like. Yeah, and look, you know, the Maryland game, so let's talk about these two. We're not going to spend as much time on Auburn and Kansas because we'll have another AC radio before those yeah. games. And we've got uh, JR, one of our audience members, lives down there, really knows Auburn well and hosts his own podcast, and he's going to hop on and join us and do a really nice preview uh, of Auburn on next week's AC radio. So, Andy, let's focus on the Maryland and Michigan games. You know, the the Maryland game in particular really feels like one Indiana needs to win for a few reasons. Number one, it's at home. You know, and if you're a team that's struggling, which Indiana probably is going, you know, has been and and may struggle for a while, you got to protect your home court. Maryland's just not playing well. You know, they opened the season ranked 23rd. They're down to 59th. So, I mean, their Ken Palm rating has plummeted as well, which is just a sign that on a per possession basis, they haven't been very efficient. And I mean, you look up and down, Jameer Young, who last year was really good, had an offensive rating of 106, Andy. He's down at 96.7 on 28% usage, which is not efficient at all. Um, Deshaun Harris-Smith, you know, prized recruit that Indiana was after at one time. His offensive rating is 81.6. You know, think about how much McKenzie Mbako has struggled. His offensive rating is 99. And Deshaun Harris-Smith, who a lot of people pegged as a potential Big Ten freshman of the year, you know, he's down there. Uh, Jordan Geronimo, of course, another big storyline. He will be coming back uh, to Assembly Hall. A lot of his numbers, you know, kind of look similar to what you would expect. Um, Jamie Kaiser, their freshman who was supposed to, you know, be a shooter, is 3 of 23 from downtown. Again, young guys struggling to transition. We've seen this ourselves. So what's the deal with Maryland, number one, Andy? And then kind of what are the areas where you think Indiana will have an advantage to be able to to potentially pull off a win opening Big Ten play. Yeah, this is one of those where you you look and you see a team that has a lot of key pieces coming back, and I think those are the teams that are are usually thought of fairly highly in the league, and I think you look at them with a a trio of Jameer Young, uh, Julian Reese, and and Dante Scott, who feels like he's been there forever. 
um, you know, throw in a couple, uh, a couple decent freshmen and, and they've got a good nucleus, at least with those three guys to really, um, to, to really be toward the top of the big 10. You know, a lot of people had them picked third or fourth kind of in, uh, in behind Purdue and Michigan state. And, and quite frankly, they just haven't shot the ball. Well, um, yeah. You know, uh, stop me if you've heard this team can't shoot from three point range. Yeah, um, but here's the but thing. They're, they're almost they're last taking... in the country. They're taking a lot and missing yeah. a ton. I mean, they're 21.4% from is three while taking, while taking over 40% of their attempts from three. So they're willing to take them, but you really yeah. you know, look up and down the roster. Dante Scott's the only guy who's hitting over 30% from three, at least in my, my quick glance here. Um, so they've got a lot of guys that are willing to take them. Uh, and, and so, yeah, you, you hope that IU is not the cure for what ails you from a, a defensive standpoint. Um, but they certainly have been for others on the season. And what they have done well offensively is offensive rebound. So you think about, um, you know, things that IU struggles with, they do line up in a couple areas, uh, in that regard, in, in terms of, um, you know, wanting to shoot a lot of threes, IU gives up a lot of threes, a lot of open threes uh, to this point and has struggled on the boards in large part. So, you know, how do you keep some of those guys, guys off the glass, uh, I think becomes important, but they have been good defensively. They're 17th uh, in adjusted defensive efficiency. And so they've been uh, solid there only, you know, they rank 28th in two point defense, um, an area where IU has clearly excelled. So uh, be interesting to see how they do there because that, you know, really from a size perspective, they don't have a ton of uh, overwhelming size. You know, Reese is 6'9", but a little a little skinny. Um, Dante Scott, 6'8", a, a little a little stockier. So it, it does, you know, where IU has an advantage, they don't have a ton of depth in that, uh, in that area. Now, because they're smaller, that means IU's got to figure out a way to guard them and not give up the open threes and not let them start to get some confidence and feel good about the way they're shooting uh, after coming in with what would presumably be very little confidence. And they're playing Ryder uh, tonight, I believe in a game they should, they should win pretty handily. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the you know, the keys are kind of the same for, for any IU game. They have turned the ball over uh, quite a bit, which I think with a, a veteran uh, guard like Jameer Young, you wouldn't necessarily uh, expect, but you know, he, his turnover percentage is in the twenties. Uh, they got a lot of guys whose turnover percentages in the twenties. So um so I think some things that IU can potentially exploit, but also Maryland does some things that IU has struggled with uh, as well that, that make it a little bit of an interesting matchup. But I agree with you, you know, feels like, I think as we looked at these games before the season, this is one that's like, hey, you're getting what should be a good team on your home court early in the season, a great chance to pick up a good win to kind of springboard you. And then we'll talk about Michigan in a minute. So I, I think definitely one, you want to see IU win. And I think if they can, uh, you know, show some attention to detail defensively, not give up those threes, do a better job on the glass. Um, I think there's a chance to do that, at least um, slow them down that way. But um, I just got to figure out how to score. And sometimes that's been a chore uh, against a team that's been been really effective defensively. You know, and Ryan, and you kind of look at their statistical profile, and it's pretty easy to make the case that there's some small sample size stuff for them that is probably going to even out. For example, they're playing very good defense, but their opponents are shooting 78% from the free throw line that's probably going to normalize. You know, they're only shooting 21.4% from three-point range. They're not going to shoot that bad all season long. And so, you know, some of those numbers for them, I think probably look worse than they actually are just because of some small sample size variants. And you'll see that stuff normalize. But the thing that concerns me, Ryan, is, you know, again, they want to take threes. Indiana's going to give them up. So Indiana's going to have to hold them 
hope that they shoot poorly and obviously help them shoot poorly with good closeouts. But this will really be the first team, other than UConn, that plays good interior defense, as Andy mentioned. You know, they have a, a good two point defense, they force turnovers. Those are two things that have really hurt Indiana this year. You know, Indiana can't afford to turn it over because they don't get extra efficiency from the three point line and they have to get it inside. Well, Julian Reese is in there and, you know, one of the better, the best big men that Indiana has faced. So, you know, you look at this matchup and there are some things that are concerning from Indiana's perspective. That said, you're at home. This is a struggling team. With or without Xavier Johnson, I think it's fair to expect Indiana to find a way to win this game. Um, you know, it's not going to be an easy one, um, but let's hope that uh, Deshaun Harris-Smith and Jamie Kaiser continue their poor shooting for at least one more game. Well, that's the thing is is Indiana is a terrible three-point defensive team, and they're not and Maryland's not shooting well. So what gives in this matchup? Like what's, what's this going to hinge on? I think that that's the key thing from this game and dealing with, uh, you know, not having Xavier Johnson, potentially not having Xavier Johnson. And, uh, and of course the juggernaut that is Jordan Geronimo. I think that's, you know, we all got to give credit to that. So, uh, but I no, mean, you I know I, he's going to come in and have some big plays. Yes. Uh, they're at least one big dunk for sure. Now, hopefully um, he'll get a little overexcited and turn the ball over some to kind of, you know, compensate for that. But yeah, averaging one and a half a game sure. this year in 19, yeah. in 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you've got to pray that they miss because you know, they're going to get open looks. I'm sorry, but that's just, that's just the way it is. They're going to get open looks against Indiana. It's whether or not they hit them. And I think that's what the game will hinge on essentially. Cause I think Indiana is going to score its points in the paint as it does. But I, I really think that the three point difference is going to be the thing here. Andy, you're putting some concerning stats in the chat since Maryland played tonight. And apparently some of these numbers are already correcting themselves. Uh, well, yeah, J- Jameer Young was four of seven from three. They were eight of 20 as a team. They did get to the line 45 times. Though they didn't shoot particularly well when they got there. Uh, apparently Ryder, a little handsy, uh, in the, uh, in the game. And then Geronimo was six of six, all on twos. Uh, a lot of which I'm going to assume were dunks against Ryder, uh, and had probably, a, probably stuff. a good assumption. So, yeah, okay. so yeah, they, they but, dominated uh, a poor opponent, but yeah, maybe Julian Reese shooting. got to the line 17 times. That seems excessive. Is that good? <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Made 14. Pretty solid. All right. So, and, yeah, so they, they have some guys that probably have a little more confidence than they did before. Kaiser hit a couple threes, um, but Harris Smith did not uh, did not hit any. So, you know, who knows? Not it, it, at least something to maybe make them feel a little bit more confident coming into the game. But I'm not sure how much that translates, to be honest. Quick turnaround after the Maryland game. Indiana plays Michigan on Tuesday the 5th. We don't need to go too in-depth on this, Andy, because we can talk about it a little bit more after the Maryland game. Um, the most important thing people need to know about the Michigan game is it is the first game that will be on Peacock. So the first Indiana game that will be on Peacock. And there's a whole lot of men's and women's basketball games on Peacock this season. Make sure that you're signed up. I'm going to be sending out an email to all of our uh, email subscribers. Go to assemblycall.com to get on our email list. I'm going to send out an email that has all the instructions for Peacock. If you haven't gotten it yet, go to our friends at Inside the Hall. They've got an affiliate link, so you can help support them when you sign up for Peacock. So you're going to want to get that before that game. Uh, and Andy, you know this Michigan team, similar to Maryland, you know up and down. Um, you know they opened the season 45th in Ken Palm, and are now 54th, so they haven't had quite the same precipitous drop. Uh, and they've actually, you know, been shooting the ball pretty well. But, you know, have those three losses to Long Beach State, Memphis, and Texas Tech. What is your quick overview of, you know, really a new look Michigan team this year? 
yeah, they're they're kind of like the opposite of Maryland right now. Their offensive efficiency is really good. Defensive is uh, is lagging behind a bit. Uh, like you said, have shot the ball really well, both from two and from three. Thirty-seven and a half percent from uh, from three coming in, and so uh, kind of middle of the road in terms of attempting threes, but um, not afraid to do that. A lot of new faces. Um, obviously, Dickinson gone and um, uh, Kobe Bufkin and uh, and Jet Howard gone as well. Doug McDaniel's really stepped up. He's playing awesome uh, as a sophomore. And I think he showed flashes. He played of that. really well at the end of last year. He showed too. flashes of that a season ago and has 100% jumped off of that uh, there. So he's really one to slow down. And if X can't play, that becomes a, a difficult matchup for somebody um, just with his quickness there. Then you've got uh, you know the other guy who's using a ton of possessions and has a really, really high offensive rating is uh, Olivier Kamwa, transfer, I believe, from Tennessee. Tennessee. Uh, Six nine player who's uh, who's done really well uh, for them early on in the season can step out and shoot it, um, but can also score inside. So uh, a difficult matchup. Although IU certainly with a lot of big bodies that they can throw at them, but if that's a a matchup that um, you know Malik Renew draws, uh, you got to you know make sure he's not getting himself in foul trouble and uh, some of those situations. So those have really been their two best offensive players. Namari Burnett uh, transferred from, I believe, Texas Tech last. Uh, no, Alabama. He started at Texas Tech, then went to Alabama uh, and has transferred. So had a, a knee injury at some point. So he's uh, you know, a senior but hasn't played maybe as much. So he's shown a few flashes. Um, but really from an efficiency standpoint, it's, uh, you know, you look at McDaniel and, and Kamwa. Uh, those are the two that uh, that, that kind of give you concern. Now, the flip side of that is they've um, – you know, haven't played as well defensively, have given up a, a high percentage from three. Uh, whether IU attempts to take advantage of that or not <laughs> remains to be seen. Um, but they haven't put people on the line, so um, maybe that speaks a little bit to their overall defensive philosophy. But, uh, yeah, it should be, should be an interesting game. I think this is one, again, you kind of go back to what you thought at the beginning of the season. You kind of felt like this is a good time to catch them. A lot of new pieces. They're trying to get things together, get things in place, figure out roles, things like that. I think those things are probably still true. Uh, but also think we probably had different impressions of where IU might be at this point in the season by then. They're so they're thinking yeah. the exact uh, same thing. <laughs> yeah, they're they're probably a lot like uh, IU in that regard, just trying to kind of figure out a lot of new pieces and how it all fits together. Uh, I think Juwan Howard's been around a little bit more, but Phil Martelli's still been coaching some of the games. A lot. I, I think Howard was at least at uh, Battle of Atlantis. So I don't, and maybe even was on the bench, but I don't think he was doing you know, as much of the coaching, uh, necessarily. So that's something he's kind of ramping up toward. Not sure what that will look like, but, um, you know, again, if there's a time, you know, one of the at least projected lower end big 10 teams on the road, chance to steal one, you like that aspect of it. It, It's just hard to go in with a ton of confidence given what we've seen from IU. (laughs) So, uh, if Michigan really gets hot from three, that's, and that's something they've been able to do so far, uh, this year when they have shot them, that obviously is reason for, uh, concern. So the synopsis is whether the opponent is a good or a bad three pointing shoot, shooting team, we are concerned. Yes, <laughs> because they're probably going to get them, and it's just going to depend on whether they make them or not. So welcome, yep. welcome to this season. Welcome to this season. Okay, coming up on Assembly Call Radio, let's reflect on Indiana's first six games of the season, including the three-point offense and three-point defense. What early season trends are we buying? Which ones are we selling? We'll also ask you for some input, chat mob. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to those of you who are here live. Thank you for being here two days early. Glad we were able to... uh, to get this episode in, since the women are playing Thursday, Jeff and Kathy will have a new episode of Doing the Work after that game. Uh, women are playing up in Maine, so the huge homecoming for Mackenzie Holmes, which will be a lot of fun, and hopefully uh, Terry Moran's crew can keep on rolling. But uh, now we can watch that game on Thursday and not have to worry about prepping for a show. So, all good. Um, all right, you guys ready to just hop right in and start doing Let's do this? do it. Let's do it. Here we go. <clears throat> Hi, this is Jawan Morgan. What's the only thing better than getting IU's first triple-double in 47 years? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Jawan. Welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Guys, we are through six games, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it you know represents a decent enough chunk of the season that I think now with the schedule getting ready to turn and start to become more competitive – We can look at some of these early season trends and try to assess whether we're buying them or selling them, you know, similar to what we just talked about with, you know, with Maryland. I mean, I'm sure they're talking about the same thing. Hey, do we think we're going to shoot 21% from three-point range all season? Well, tonight they got it going a little bit, and I think the answer to that uh, would be no, hopefully. Uh, And that leads us into our first buy-sell, and really our first couple, which are going to deal with the three-point line. Um, it's, you know, just too important a part of college basketball right now and too important a part of every game for this team. It seems like both on offense and defense, not to start here. So Ryan, here's some of the numbers. Indiana currently 348th in the country in three point shooting percentage and 349th in three point attempts. Meanwhile, the Hoosiers are 256th in defensive three point percentage and 338th in defensive uh, three pointers uh, uh, allowed. So we're allowing a lot and allowing teams to shoot very well. Are you buying or selling Indiana? And and those numbers, by the way, clearly make Indiana the worst major conference team in terms of utilizing the three-point line, both in terms of our usage of it offensively and defensively. Are you buying Indiana as one of the worst major conference teams in the country at utilizing the three-point line? Yes, because... We've seen this for several years now. Like it, it's it's become a thing. It's not. This isn't. You know, one year can be a variant that popped out. You know, this is this is repeated, and the program doesn't emphasize the three point line. That's it's just fair to say it. That, that was the case under Archie Miller as well. This program does not emphasize shooting. It, it, it doesn't. And and you can say you know lip service as much as you want from the coaches and from players and all of that stuff. It's just not a priority in this program. Uh, defense is a priority, and, and uh, clearly big men and athleticism are a big priority. Shooting is not a priority, and it has not been. Um, maybe that changes, but right now that's what it is. I think they will be a bottom 100 team in 
three-point efficiency. Um, I, I, absolutely. Because I've seen no evidence that there's change coming. And I've seen no evidence that anyone on this team is going to be a consistent 40% threat from distance with a high volume of shots. I mean, you might get Khalil Ware shooting 40, but what's he shooting? One a game? You know, I, I just, I don't see it happening. Maybe you get one guy, but you're not going to get it across the board. And, and it's just, again, it's, it's not what is emphasized in this program. Driving one-on-one play and, and, and points in the paint are what are important in this program. Uh, offensively, three-point line is not. And whether we like it or not, that's just a fact. Well, I would hope nobody likes it. <laughs> well, I mean, some people some people say, well, you don't need to hit threes because you're scoring so much in the paint. It's like, well, that's just not sustainable against good no. teams. You need a balance. Like the whole, yes. the best offenses are balanced inside and out. And and so and I just don't think that is is something that happens in this program. I mean, you watch other teams play and they run plays to get their shooters wide open off the base. You just don't see that consistently with Indiana. The only time guys get a wide open look from three is a driving kick or a kick out from the post. Uh, there are not, the offense is not geared to get shooters in positions where they're comfortable shooting. So uh, that's just what it is. And that's just sort of what we'll have to deal with this year. Uh, and maybe, you know, in the last three years, really last two years. Well, I think everybody who's looking at the evidence is going to say bye on that one. Everyone in the chat mob said bye. So, Andy, let me kick it to you with maybe something more constructive because I'm assuming that you would probably buy this as well. But Glenn asked us a question related to this. He said, can the team improve three-point defense and also increase three-point attempts per game? If they can, what have you seen which gives you such hope? From what I have seen thus far, I have no confidence that we can maintain any lead when playing quality competition. I want to have hope, but I'm struggling to see this area improving. Can you give Glenn some hope, Andy, please? I like that Glenn sees us being able to get leads against quality competition, first of all. So I thought that part was good. That is a hopeful statement. I thought that part was good. Uh, I I think defensively, I think that, you know, how much they can improve is probably a question, but I do think they can show improvement there. I think part of that comes with. Oh, they could show improvement. It'd be impossible for them not to to get worse. Don't. Don't tempt fate, Ryan. We it's true. Fair, that. fair. I'll back. Um, I'll, I, I retract but, my statement. But but I do think, and I, and I forget which game it was. You know, coach talked about they weren't kind of sagging quite as much. Um, you know, trying to get to the nail. It was just more kind of the the edge of the lane. You know, I think they can make some tactical tweaks like that, and I think guys can just get more comfortable in the system with what they're trying to do. Now, it may be that they have a roster that is never going to get you know get comfortable with that. But I think if you if you want to look at it that way, I think you've got a lot of new pieces trying to learn this. And in if if they're able to teach it a little bit better or make some tweaks, I think you can see improvement on that side. I think the other side of it is pretty difficult to see marked improvement in because they just haven't made it a focal point of the offense. And that I don't think changes, especially because the two guys who have been the most consistent scoring and the two most consistent offensive threats are two guys who are largely scoring inside, even though Cleoware has stepped out and, and made some shots. So I think on I think on the defensive side, I think it's reasonable to expect some some incremental improvement, although they're not going to skyrocket to the top and really make hard closeouts or uh and try to run guys off the line. I do think there's things that you can do to make that a little bit better. Um, but I don't think offensively I, I I'd be hard pressed to come up with reasons to say all of a sudden IU is going to start really shooting a lot more threes unless they have guys that really start to get hot because the threes are going to, you know, you're going to get more and more open looks. I think that is undeniable with how renew has played and even how you've seen 
teams adjust and, and come at him pretty aggressively with double teams. There are shots to be had that aren't necessarily by the, the true design of the offense, but you also have guys who don't seem all that willing to take those shots. And so maybe if a couple of guys get hot, then that the, the needle on that one moves a little bit more than I think it will, but seems a hard sell uh, at this point to think that it would. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to shoot 24% for the season. We're not going to shoot that badly. I mean, knock on wood, <clears throat> but the question is, even with some marginal improvement there, to your point, Ryan, other programs have just prioritized this more. You know, it's not that Indiana didn't try to get shooters in the offseason. They just weren't successful for a variety of reasons, in part, maybe because their reputation is playing against them. <laughs> I, I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, Jared. So, uh, no, uh, just to clarify what my stance was, I think they'll get better defensively guarding the three. I think that's inevitable. Yes. They have to as more guys get comfortable. I, I definitely think that is 100%. But I just don't see the offensive side coming around because we've seen the same offense for three years and it hasn't worked. I mean, you had two guys shooting well, uh, two guys who played a lot shooting over 40% last year, and you just didn't give them enough shots. I mean, you just didn't. And like, you know, Miller Cop barely shot four a game, I think. And he was shooting like 45% or something like that. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I just think that, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, if you wanted to make an argument for the fact that, look, you know, there's a lot of room for Indiana to grow, even offensively, you would look at McKenzie and Baco, and this is similar to what Maryland's facing. McKenzie and Baco, two for 18. CJ Gunn, 0 for 4, a continuation of his poor season last year. Trey Galloway, 3 for 18. You know, these were supposed to be your big, you know, high-ish volume three-point shooters, along with Xavier Johnson, who to his credit is five for 10. There's a lot of improvement for those guys to make. And so this leads to my next buy-sell question, and Andy, we'll start with you. Those three guys that I just mentioned are 5 for 40 from downtown. That's 12.5%, obviously really dragging down Indiana's overall percentage. Are you buying or selling this trio as being able to shoot at least 33% from deep from this point forward? Which I mean, is like feels... just kind of your baseline, like passable three-point shooting. I, I am concerned that more and more as we get into these topics, these are all just a gentle twisting of the knife of any preseason <laughs> prediction that I made <laughs> with Galloway. I think I hit him at over 40% uh, Mbaka leading the team in scoring. Um, so yeah, this feels, this one feels a little personal. I don't know how to take it any other way. Um, I, no, I do think I, I, I think with, I think it's probably a different answer for all three, right? Like Mbako, I think you guys talked about this a little bit uh, after I hopped off the show the other night. You know, he's stepping into him confidently, made a couple with his foot on the line or in that range, seemed to be more aggressive. Um, it, it, I think he's going to be okay. Um, they should be able to get him open shots. He's shooting the most confidently, I would say, of anybody. Um and I, and I think at least you've seen some signs with some of the long twos he's hit, um, different things like that. I think I think he can shoot the ball, so I think he'll be all right. Galloway, uh, you know, the track record is an odd one, right? You, you look at what he did last year, a, a little bit of, you know, felt like maybe an anomaly, although we'd all seen different things within his shot mechanics that suggested, hey, these could account for this. Um, but he's not getting the kinds of shots this year that he got last year. Uh, and I think that becomes a little bit difficult to try to figure out how do you start getting him the kinds of shots, the spot up type shots that he was able to get last year and shoot really well. 
versus this year, it's a little bit more off of movement or off of a screen, uh, off of a ball screen, things like that. So, um, and then gun, I think everybody looks and, and kind of short of some of the things, you know, he does with it. You know, Ryan's talked about this with, you know, kind of the way his lower half rotates and, and does some funky things as he's taking shots, it, you know, it's just like, has he shot enough at this point to think like, Hey, I just don't think it's ever going to be there, but you look at it and you're like, how could it, you know, he he's bound to hit some eventually. Um, you know, so I, I'm tempted to buy that just because I think there's things to like uh, about each. I, I think the Galloway stuff is maybe the most concerning to me because I don't know if he continues to get the kinds of threes this year that he's getting compared to what he got a year ago. I think it gets really hard for him to, to you know, bump it up enough to do that. Um, and gun, the track record's really not that good at this point. And so I, I don't know. I'm going to be optimistic and say yes, because I think there's reason for optimism there, but not a lot of it has been seen this year. So it's more going on my gut than it is <laughs> maybe based on what's actually happening. Yeah, I would buy it. Not all that confidently based on what we've seen, but I would buy it. I think there's there's room for those guys to improve. And like you, I think Mbako can can kind of carry that improvement. Uh, Ryan, on the flip side, Khalil Ware and Caleb Banks are 7 for 14 combined from downtown, which isn't a ton, but it's at least good efficiency. Are you buying or selling them as credible three-point threats moving forward that a defense will actually pay attention to? Yeah, I'd love to see Khalil Ware shoot more. Um, Caleb Banks shoot more. Uh, you know, I don't know if if Banks will finish above 33%. I think Ware can easily. His shot, it, it looks really good. Caleb Banks just, I think he rushes sometimes, and I'm not sure if it'll be consistent, but Yes, I'd like to see both of them shoot more. Uh, I'd like to see anyone on this team shoot more from three, but those two specifically. Um, Trey Galloway, not so much. Um, but but I think that, yes, I, I, I think they can be three-point threats. The question is not whether or not they can make them. It's whether or not they get, again, open shots in places they're comfortable taking them uh, and off of plays where they're ready to shoot as opposed to catching it and being like, oh, I am open, I'm going to shoot this. I, I think you see a lot, with a lot of Indiana's players, the, the focus is so paint heavy that sometimes they catch it and they're not thinking this is a shot. They're thinking, okay, we got to move the ball. We got to put it in the post, whatever. And they realize how open they are. So they shoot. It's not in rhythm. And that's why you see guys miss open shots so much with this team. I don't think it's that they're all terrible shooters. I think it's that the philosophy is such that they are not ready to shoot and realize they kind of have to. And that is not a recipe for success. That's very well said. All right, Andy, I'm going to go to you first with this one. Each of Indiana's three ball handling guards, Xavier Johnson, Trey Galloway, Gabe Cups, has an assist rate of 17.6% or lower. In X's case, it's, I mean, that is well, well off of his career mark. He's been, you know, over 30 uh, every season. Malik Renu, on the other hand, leads the team in assist rate at 26.8%. Are you buying or selling Malik as this team's best facilitator? I, I tend to buy it, quite honestly, um, at least based on how things have played out so far. I think a lot of that comes to, you know, goes back to what I talked about before. Defenses are really starting to collapse on him, and he's almost going to have to be. Um, so this might be willing that into existence, but... <laughs> He's almost going to have to be right. I mean, you think about the things that that Trace was able to do last year and not saying he's going to put up any of the kinds of, you know, necessarily the kinds of numbers that Trace did. But Trace was that a year ago. Um, 
you know, he was able to, to find shots for other guys. He, I think it was him and Miller cop had some exchange on, uh, on, on Twitter about the skip pass to the corner, you know, for the corner threes and things like that. Just, um, you know, he got really, really good at that over the course of his time, uh, at IU. And he had to be because he had to be able to quickly decipher, is a defense giving me enough room to, to make a move or is it a chance for me to get somebody else a shot? And that's kind of the way they're, they're starting to play Malik. Uh, and I think he struggled with that a little bit at times. And, um, I think it was a Harvard game, just put the ball on the floor a little bit too much, too long, uh, and tried and, you know, which just wasn't able to get passes to people. But I, I think he almost will have to be just because, you know, they're giving him some other situations, whether it be back to the basket, whether it be, um, you know, some of the, the lobs that he and, and Khalil have, have kind of become, uh, accustomed to. So, I don't know that that's a great thing for the team, but I think based on the way things have gone so far, uh, it certainly feels that way. Yeah, and it's just one of those things. I mean, the offense is just so, like the muscle memory is just so used to doing everything through the post, you know, that Malik's getting all those looks. You know, I have to sell this because of Xavier Johnson's track record, and I know he struggled, Ryan, but we've seen this from Xavier Johnson now for two straight seasons. You know, his first season, we got to see the other side of it when he came out, kind of figured out his role and really shined at the end of the season. We never got to see that last year. He had a few, you know, good games early, but was otherwise kind of struggling to figure out exactly what he was supposed to do with Jalen also out there. It feels like he's going through some of those growing pains again. So we hope he gets healthy, you know, as soon as possible. Um, I still think the long-term future for this team you know, he's the best facilitator. He's the most proven one. And so I'm going to trust that long term, but that doesn't mean that I don't think everything Andy said is valid. It's just, you know, I, 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 I think this team is going to be in a much better position if X can take on that role and have more balanced facilitation than just Malik out of the post. Well, Jared, he better improve because you said a whole lot of things before this season started. Uh, I did. You did. And I know I you're sticking by him, but I'm none not, of those I'm things not, were that it had to happen by November. I I figured it would be a hundred percent. I'm just saying, just yeah. saying, we haven't forgotten. Um, and he has improved as a score. His scoring efficiency is up. It's everything else up. that's down. Yep. I like and, that Jared more subtly twists a knife at my predictions by by throwing questions at me, whereas you more overtly just um, <laughs> shove it right in his face. It's the Which, difference in our personalities, my friend. Certain, it certainly is. It certainly lines is. up. To be fair, we all have predictions that are looking a little bad right now. Yes. So let's just yeah, that's, that fair. that's fair. We also said before we did those predictions that we have no idea how this is going <laughs> to yeah. turn out. So, um, no, I, I I mean, the guard play has to get better. It's, it's simple as that. If Malik Renew is your top facilitator, there are lots of problems with this team. Um, you know, if that's happening by March, uh, nothing against Malik, but I think he's, uh, you know, we've talked about his footwork, his passing, his ball handling, all of that being beyond his age last year, we said that. Um, but I think that the guard play just has to be better. And it's, and we talked about that after the last game, after the Harvard game, it's just your leaders are in the post right now and they need to be on the perimeter. I mean, because there's veterans there. There's a guy like Gabe Cubs who you expect him to be a leader is the minute he steps on campus. You can't put that pressure on him because he's young, but on the court, that's a guy who you expect to be much more mature than his age. Um, and he's been fine for a freshman, but you really were expecting a lot. You need a lot, I guess, because of the lack of depth there. So yeah, those guys have to get better. There, I mean, if 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 this is what it looks like in a in a month, Indiana's in trouble. Yes. Malik's facilitation is great but it needs to be not necessarily a bonus, but like a secondary or tertiary yes. place where you're getting 
creation, not yes. not the main place. All right, on the subject of Malik Ryan, he has slashed his overall foul rate, fouls committed per 40 minutes, from 6.8 last season to 3.6 so far this season, which is you know an awesome early season trend. Also, he's drawing 5.3 fouls per 40 minutes. That number was only 3.5 last season. So he's a net positive right now in terms of drawing more fouls than he's committing, which is awesome. Are you buying Malik as a guy who draws more fouls than he commits moving forward? And I will give you this interesting note as you answer. Last season, his fouls committed per 40 minutes against tier A and B competition was 7.3. So he committed even more against better teams. He's only played one game this year against tier A or B competition, UConn, and it was 7.4 because he fouled out of that game. So yeah. I will kick that to you. Are you buying or selling this newly okay. foul conscious Malik? I think I'm calling a push. I think it's going to be almost even uh, because I think he is better at drawing fouls in the post, but I still think he fouls a lot. And I think he's going to foul a lot, especially against bigger competition. Now, where being down there does take some of the pressure off him defensively, but that also means he's likely going to have to play away from the basket more, which could lead to more fouls. So when the thing is, and Mike Woodson clearly recognized it. I mean, he said it was either on his radio show or post game. Part of the reason he wanted to go to zone was to protect Malik. Yeah, because he's foul wise. He knows how smart. important he is. It was a smart decision. Um, yeah. No, so they I, may do I that it, more. Is my point. I think it's going to be it's going to be about even. I really do think it's going to be about even because I think he will draw a lot of fouls. It's hard for me to say one way or the other. I, I think it's going to be fifty fifty. Uh, I think he's going to still think he's going to foul enough to be concerning while also drawing a lot of fouls. So I, I think I would say it's going to be somewhere in the middle. A perfect cop out answer, Andy. Would you like to totally. step up and actually choose a side? <laughs> I will um, I, I think he can be I, I think his I think his fouls committed number is probably going to bump up you're going to be facing bigger better competition um, they're going to be more you know the more film people get on okay this guy is now forced to guard people out on the floor how do we want to attack him how do they attack how IU switches and put him in disadvantageous situations but I do think what he's shown offensively suggests that he's going to be able to get some people in foul trouble as well. He's getting the ball in positions around the basket where, you know, I, I know we jo- I feel like we joked uh, a ton last year of like he wasn't going to get any calls uh, last year. Hopefully that changes this year. So I think he probably outpaces it a little bit. Um, but that, you, you know, that fouls called uh, on him number seems likely to go up as, as, uh, as opponents, you know, attack him in different ways and really put IU's feet to the fire in terms of wanting to play him at the four and 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 the way that some of these teams play. Now, you make the argument other Big Ten teams, uh, you know, maybe less so than other leagues in the country don't play quite that way. Um, but I think Michigan is an example, and even uh, Maryland, for that matter, he's going to have to guard people out on the floor. Um, you know, he's not going to be guarding Reed for Michigan. He's not going to be guarding Reese in all likelihood uh, for Maryland. So he is going to get start we're going to get a good glimpse of that over these next couple of games. And then as you look forward to that, Kansas kind of same deal. Auburn's got a ton of athletes going to put him in some, uh, some tricky spots defensively. So I think we'll start to get a, a real good answer on how he's going to handle the defensive part of that. Uh, even over these next four games. <laughs> Just, <laughs> did you see the text from coach? <laughs> yeah, should, oh yeah, I did. We need an audio yeah, drop of this. Essentially it's WTF push. Yeah, exactly. I said what I said. Um, so what I would say, Ryan, is I think you made some really good points before you copped out and didn't answer. I do think the fouls committed number is going to go up. I think it's going to be closer to the high fours or low fives. 
But that drawing fouls number, I think, is legit. Now, it may not be quite at 5.3. It'll go down a little bit. So I'm going to buy it slightly. Slightly. I, I do, if you think, want me I do to think he'll be a, a slight net positive, in part because I am starting to think the coaches recognize just how essential he is. And especially if Xavier Johnson gets hurt, you have to protect him defensively. You, you just have to because, I mean, this team can barely function when he's not on the court right now. So I think that's part of it is I think they're going to put him in some more advantageous defensive positions where they can. And that'll okay, help fine. I'll, I'll, I'll put my foot down somewhere. I'll say that I think he's going to be at like 4.5 fouls committed and like 4.7 drawn. So sure, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. Uh, but I mean, it's, I think it's going to be, it's going to depend on who he plays what day and how many games they go in the season and all that. I mean, it's, I think it's going to be very close, very close, but better than last year, which is a huge deal. It's a big improvement. He had a a long way to go last year, but so far, and that, you know, that's a very, very positive early season trend, no matter what, it's great to see the numbers where they are. And now hopefully he can keep it going. And ultimately, really, really big of Ryan to take a stand when when pushed really hard to do so. No, it was great. So kudos yeah. to you. Yes, I made the we same. Bullied point him into being bold. Either way, basically. so that was that was nice. Um, all right, let's make this the last one because there's a bunch of good mailbag questions. I want to make sure we can get to them. Andy Ken Palm currently projects Indiana at eight and twelve in conference play. And to be fair, Indiana is lower in Ken Palm than they are anywhere else. Um, are you buying or selling Indiana as a sub 500 team in Big Ten play? Uh, I mean, it's kind of, there's a part of me, this is where reality and what you've seen versus optimism uh, face off because I'd be hard pressed to say, based on what we've seen, that that they look like something other than a sub 500 big 10 team. Um, but fortunately there are other big 10 teams who have not. That, looked yeah. That's, that's what <laughs> makes this argument. In Indiana's I, I know. If, if, and, the rest of big 10, is, if the rest of big 10 was playing the way it should be, this is an easy answer, but it's yeah. not, you know, everyone's disappointed early. Yeah. I, I do not, I do not see them at this point being dramatically over 500 or, you know, and any of that, but I do think they could get to 500. Um, I, I think, you know, again, I'm probably doing this with my heart to actually, you know, feel some sense of optimism here, but, uh, I'm going to sell that and think they can get to 500 or maybe a game over, um, just with incremental improvement over the course of the season, guys being more used to playing, uh, together and some of those kinds of things. But, but man, it's tough to watch what we've seen so far from this team, even with some of the growth that I talked about earlier and be like, and, and not feel some tinge of, yeah, I got a hard time seeing this team getting to 10 big 10 wins. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go with the optimistic side. Cause there's a lot of things that really can't get worse. Um, yes. So if you think of it that way, uh, you know, why not? Yeah. And we have a question coming up in the mailbag. I'm going to sell yeah. this to Andy. I mean, you know, look, we we've only seen games in November. Baked into everybody's preseason predictions was it's going to look ugly early. So we have to remember that. So, you know, if you ask me for what my prediction is now, it wouldn't be quite as optimistic as it was before the season started. But I'm not backing off of that. I still think this team has a high ceiling and, you know, some of these things can come around and shooters can get better and some of those things. So I still think this is a, a 
you know, a team that's going to finish in the top five or six in the Big Ten and be above 500, even if they haven't looked like it right now. Um, I haven't seen enough to totally back off of those optimistic feelings. Yeah, this is it's tough, man. It really is. And I think that my answer could change by next week. Um, um, but I, I would say I'm looking at like 11 and nine. So I would say above 500, but the big 10 right now has what two teams in the top 25. Um, you know, obviously it's early and that's going to change, but still I, it's mostly because the conference doesn't look great right now. And a lot of teams are underperforming. That's going to change. Teams are going to get better. And so it, right now it's looking at like, I was looking at the schedule trying to figure out what I thought. And it's a lot like, well, can they catch them early? You know, before they get it together, can they? Are they going to? When are they going to play them? And, but and we're one of those know, teams that's going to get it together course, too. So I mean, that can apply for us, hundred percent. So for me, it's like, how much have we gotten it together by the time they're getting it together? You know, I mean, it's it's really like calculus. It's tough. It's like the seventh grade math Andy was doing earlier. Um, but it's no, it, it's tough. I, I I would say like eleven and nine is kind of where I saw them when I reviewed this this week actually um but yeah by next week we'll i think have a much firmer answer on what that's going to be and what that's going to look like moving forward uh any other quick buy sells that you guys want to uh, talk about or just any early season trends that you want to comment on before we hop into the mailbag since i put these together i didn't want to no, um, let's go to mail if there was something else. I'm okay good. let's go to the mailbag i'm good with that Let's do it. All right. Coming up on Assembly Call Radio, it is mailbag time. A bunch of good questions from our Substack subscribers, from our members in Discord, and we're going to answer all of those here coming up, including one about how Indiana's playing relative to our expectations. Stick with All right. Just hop right into it. Let's do it. Kentucky still crushing Miami. I think it's over. They were up like twenty last I saw. Okay, lovely. Um, okay, let's do this. Andy, just pop off if you need to, and then come on back. And we got you. Okay, here we go. What's up, y'all? It's Devontae Green, giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Devontae. That's a mindset we need more guys to, uh, to have. All right. You're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris, here with Ryan Phillips. Andy Bottoms will be back here momentarily, wishing his daughter a good night. Uh, it's time for the mailback. All of these questions submitted either via our private Discord or our Substack, and we want to remind you to go there. If you just go to our URL, assemblycall.com, it will now take you to our Substack, which is essentially our main website. It is our content hub, so whether you're coming to watch a live show, coming for Tony's IU Film Room, Coach Tonsoni's Coach's Corner, our post-game 321, doing the work... Everything is right there. So go to assemblycall.com. You can sign up for free and you'll get emails when new content comes out. 
or you can join and become a premium member uh, and get all the extras like the IU Film Room Coach's Corner, uh, the full post-game email. All that stuff is there. Plus, we have a lot of conversations, community conversations, chat conversations that are premium members only. So go to assemblycall.com. You'll find out all the information. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email, uh, but we'd love to have you join us over there. Uh, All right, Ryan, let's dive into these questions. First one from Sam. How has the potential for various players to go to the NBA after this year changed so far this season, if at all? Uh, I think it's dramatically risen for Khalil Ware. Uh, I think Mbako is going to go anyway, so I would say that's stayed even. And those are really the two that you need to worry about. Uh, so I would say I would say those two have certainly. Um, I, I think that Mbako's kind of held serve. I don't think anyone's going to hold the early part of the season against him. Um, but Khalil Ware, I think it is dramatically increased. Um, but we all expected him if he had a decent season to go anyway. So I wouldn't say it's changed a whole lot. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Like I was looking at Sam Vecini's big board, and he still has Khalil Ware like way down as like a potential second rounder. Um, you know, and I wonder, he's obviously answered some questions about the motor and been productive. I do wonder if some people are waiting to see him against better competition more yes. consistently. Because one game against UConn, it was fine, but it wasn't great, you know, and he kind of disappeared for parts of that game. Um, you know, and so I think he's got to show up more consistently. I think this game against Maryland is a big one against Julian Reese. You know, these are the types of players he's going to have to go up against, find ways to score against and defend. Now, Mbako is an interesting one. So are you, you know, you basically said he's going anyway. Um, and obviously he came. I to think, Indiana. I just think so. I mean, he certainly came to Indiana with the thought of being a one and done. Now they're, you know, who knows? I, not inside of his head. So I don't know if there are things that could change that. You know, for him, he's got to show two things. I mean, it's pretty clear he profiles as a three and D guy at the next level. You know, he's got to be able to make threes. He's got to be able to play defense. If some of the creation and some of the other stuff comes around, awesome. But those are the two things he's going to have to be able to do. We're starting to see the, uh, you know, the shooting come around. And I think, you know, you've seen some ability as a rebounder. You've seen some ability as a defender when he's fully engaged. But that's going to be the big question. Can he continue to make strides there to where an NBA team can look at him and say, okay, he can be a passable defender? Um, cause right now he hasn't been, and the offense hasn't been good enough to compensate for it. Um, so those are the two big things for him. And I do think teams will be patient. These guys are freshmen. It takes guys a little while to come around sometimes. Um, so really the full answer is it's probably a little bit too early to say, I just don't think there have been enough games against big time competition to fully move the needle in either direction. Um, but we'll see moving forward. Cause there's going to be plenty of games against that competition coming up. Um, you know, Daniel asked this question and we answered it some, but let's just see if there's any more meat on the bone. Andy, where is IU at right now versus your preseason expectations and have your expectations for the rest of the season changed? He said, I find there's a wide range of expectation going forward amongst my IU friends. Some are pessimistic based on closer than expected results against lower competition, while others are excited about the talent potential based on individual performances like where Malik's big improvement and Baco's game against Harvard. I think it's safe to say that Indiana has played below all of our expectations, even though we had lower expectations for November, but how much lower and how much do you think it's affected your overall view of the season? Yeah, I feel like we talked before the season that this team had a really wide range of outcomes. I think I probably feel like the range of outcomes is wider because the floor feels lower than it did coming into the season. 
and the ceiling probably not as high uh, to be fair, but I, I just, I just feel like when you think about what this, but I think the ceiling maybe is still achievable, right? Like if you want to look at some of the, you know, part of his question where it was individual performances and things like that, like, I think you've gotten a really good version of some guys that you didn't really know what to expect. Like where is the, the obvious perfect example of that, of, you know, guy with kind of a questioned motor coming in and some of those kinds of things. Like he's answered those questions to me through these games, obviously lots still to play, but, but the kinds of things that were a knock on him before have faded into the background and given way to, the, the overall talent that everybody knew he had the whole time. Um, so I think that's been a lot more positive. I think Mbako has been uh, a work in progress. I think that you kind of yield a little bit to what, what Woodson has said about him of, you know, kind of give him time. He responded to that. He seems to at least have a pretty good uh, read on, on kind of where he's at. I think what you need is the guards to play, you know, dramatically better, quite honestly. And, um, and I think the defense has been so poor that that to me is what's really lowered the floor as much as anything. So, um, I, so, you know, statements from the beginning of the season that this team has a really wide range of outcomes are still true. Uh, I just think if you were thinking that curve was going to accelerate and they were going to start to peak um, or get closer to their peak in a mid-January time frame, that feels a lot less likely than it does now. And that that, you know, they're just kind of further behind that development curve is, is kind of how I would uh, kind of how I would phrase it. Yeah, and I mean, Ryan, the ceiling for this team is going to be determined based on the guards. I mean, X and Trey have to be more consistently productive. CJ has to shoot. You know, these things have to happen for us to get anywhere near the ceiling that we were talking about. And right now, none of them are happening. So that's going to be the big question moving forward. And there's nothing to say that it can't. We've seen it from Trey as a shooter last year. You know, we've seen it from X. But it should be nice to see it this year. Where are you at in terms of, you know, compared to where you thought this team would be heading into the Maryland game? I'll say this. I think the record is what I thought it would be, but I think the way they've played has been below my expectations. um, If that's fair, I I think um, the record might actually be slightly better. I think there are a lot of people that would have said four and two at the start of the season, thinking we might drop one of those games, which is ironic, but we were talking about that. Like, Hey, you could lose one of these early games and it not be that big of a disaster. Yeah. But if you look at it, you know, they almost dropped two of them, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, they, they kind of, it wasn't like, it wasn't like either of those were, you know, any of those were dominant victories. They snuck by right. and perhaps the easiest one is the one that looked the most perilous for a while. Yes. Um, but I think that, you know, we knew that if they got Louisville after losing to UConn, they probably win that game because Louisville is kind of a mess. Um, and you knew that Harvard was going to be better than people thought, but that they should win that game. Uh, so I think that, yeah, again, the record is what I thought it would be. Um, assuming again, assuming that they got Louisville in that, in that second game, I didn't think they beat UConn. I don't think really anybody did. Um, but at the same time, I think they have played more poorly than I expected. Certainly against UConn, I did not expect a close game, but I didn't love the way they played. I didn't think they would completely collapse the way they did late, uh, against Louisville, I mean, they had to go zone to save themselves. You know, I like that's that's you look at the individual games and you're kind of saying, Ugh, there's there's some ugly stuff in there. Um, but the record is where I, about where I thought it would be. And Andy's right. There's still just such a wide range of outcome. My opinion on the team could change dramatically based on what happens Friday night against, you know, I mean, if they yeah. if they just don't show up at home against a team that has not been great, uh, 
my I I will be extremely pessimistic about where this is headed. Yeah. Um, if they win that game, you probably feel pretty confident moving through that they're not going to embarrass themselves the rest of December in some pretty tough environments. Um, because there's three straight, you know, tough games. Uh, uh, just from a situational standpoint, uh, Kansas is really good. You're going to play at Michigan, playing Auburn, uh, not in your backyard. Um, that's it, that's some tough stuff coming up. And so really the Maryland game is going to tell us a lot about their mentality. And then of course, you know, going on the road for the first time is going to tell you a lot about their mentality. So I think that we'll know more by Tuesday. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's veer to the right here. This is Caleb's question. Who are some of your favorite candidates for the IU football coach? And if you could pick any coach for the spot, real or fictional, who would it be? Uh, Ryan, why don't you, why don't you go first? <laughs> fictional? Yeah. Uh, coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> no, uh, real. I know who Jared's answer is because we had this debate all day. I, I honestly don't have a name, but I have a type. I think it's going to have to be a younger guy looking to make his uh, establish himself on the way up. I think it just, it kind of has to be. Um, I don't think you're going to get a guy with a long track record of success to come to Indiana, regardless of it being the big 10, because it's a tough program to win at. It just is. And there's a pretty hard ceiling on the program of about eight wins, you know, maybe nine, if the schedule plays out and they just added over, over what period of time will those yes. eight or nine wins be amassed? I didn't, I didn't say I'm one just, season, okay, uh, but you know, that's, that's the best you're going to probably do is eight wins. And you know, there's plenty of programs across the country that are that. And, and Indiana is that. And, you know, you just also added four programs that have that. Well, you are adding four programs that have much better track records of success than Indiana. And so it's going to get even tougher and they're going to get pushed down even further. And I just don't think it's a super attractive job, no matter how much money you sink into it, because the competition is ridiculous in the Big Ten. And I just don't see it. You might have an off season, a one off season where you have a nice run and maybe get to nine wins and everybody celebrates you. But to sustain that at a place like Indiana is very difficult. And so I think it's a tough job to take. I think you're going to have to get somebody looking to make a name for themselves. To, the to landscape get that is a little bit different, though, with so many things being funneled to the Big Ten and the SEC. And there are only so many of those jobs, you know, and so that could make it a little bit more attractive to one of these True. people that you're saying might not be interested. One thing about that, though, is a lot of these mid-major jobs are paying guys exceptionally well because of TV money. And so guys could make three and a half million dollars in the Mac. You know, they don't have to go to the Big Ten to make that kind of money. Now, look, they're not going to get five to ten million dollars there, but they could do pretty well financially in those other places. And and look, the Big 12 will pay its coaches heavily, too, because there's a lot of money running through those schools, even if they're not traditional powers. Indiana just doesn't have that to entice people. It's not it's not Baylor where they can throw tons of money at something um, or one of these other non-traditional powers that has just a ton of money running through it. So I, that's what I think. I, I you know, and and somebody could surprise me. Um, but, but from what I, what I see as the landscape, I just think you're going to get a guy coming, coming up on the, on the way up. I don't think you're going to get anybody who's established themselves, you know, and there are a couple decent candidates. I guess the way that I look at it and where our thinking on this differs is you look at the history of coaches that have succeeded at Indiana and there haven't been many and success is certainly relative, but Bo McMillan, Bill Mallory, 
John Pont. I think guys that you would consider three of certainly, you know, I mean, McMillan and Mallory are the two best. And then, you know, Pont, whether you think he's better than Corso or Allen, whatever. But all those guys, Andy, had at least moderately successful tenures at big programs before coming to Indiana. In the case of Mallory, that was at two or three programs. He was at Colorado, Miami of Ohio, and somewhere else before he came to Indiana. McMillan had three coaching jobs before he came to Indiana. Pont had a couple. To me, the job of Indiana is so tough. You don't want a guy learning on the job for how to be a Big Ten coach. It's better to have someone who has that experience before. That's why FYI. a guy like Tom Herman is interesting to me. That's why a guy like Paul Christ, as boring as he is, and I'm not saying I endorse him, he's interesting because that's the actual profile that has succeeded at Indiana. I, I 100% agree with you. My problem is I don't know if a guy like that would take the job in its current state. That's that right, you know, okay. and and that that's what I mean. I'm not saying that 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 oh no, it would be terrible to get a guy who's had success in major conference football. You know, obviously that's what you want. I'm just I'm just not certain that that guy is going to because the thing is that so many jobs open up every year that you're not expecting to open up. These guys could be like, you know what, I'm doing okay here. I'm going to wait for the next opportunity that could be better, especially if you're at a place where you think we got some guys coming back. We can make a run. That's going to up the level, the the profile of the job I could take. As for Paul Christ, seems like a very nice guy. Uh, the offense he runs, the yeah. San Diego Chargers ran in the late 1990s. Like, it's just, I, I don't see how that makes Indiana competitive. No. And, I think and, he had a unique balance for what Wisconsin does. See, that's and, the problem, is Wisconsin may have just such institutional strength for the yes. way they play football. Like, Bielema hasn't succeeded outside of there, and he might not either. So I'm I'm not endorsing Chris. No, I know you're not. I am more holding him up as an avatar for the type of coach that Indiana sure. should at least be interested in. I would in. love that. I would absolutely yeah. love that. Love to get a guy like that. I, it's just whether or not I think that guy would take the job. And and right now, I it just with the landscape of college football, I'm just not sure that guy's going to take that job to win seven games a year you know, at, at, at seven, eight games a year at his best. Um, you know, guys, guys who are established want to go somewhere they can win championships, whether it's conference or, or, or beyond. And I just don't see that opportunity at Indiana existing. Andy, what's your short list? I, I don't know that I really have. I haven't dug too much into some of the, the coaches that are there. I was driving to Mallory's basketball game today and I'm like, man, why is my phone going off so much? So, and then I, I caught up while I was, uh, while I was at the game on, on some of the stuff that you guys were talking about. I, I think, um, you know, Galen and Scott talked about this. I think they fall in a lot in line a lot with what you said, Jared of, you know, IU has not had a huge, you know, it's not a great, it's, it's such a challenging job that to your point, learning on the job of somebody who hasn't I agree. been tough. at a power five level kind of magnifies the difficulty of, of the actual job itself. Um, the flip side is you've got to make sure that you're not getting, you know, and, and they address this on there, but you know, the first thing in my head is like, you don't want a, a retread guy either who really is not a, a compelling offering for recruits or donors or whatever. Um, you know, Jerry DiNardo was immediately the guy who like popped into my head of like, you know, just because he's been at a major college program doesn't mean that's the guy you get. So they've got to figure out, you know, some of these guys, whether, you know, to use the, the Herman as the example, you know, didn't see, you know, has succeeded, didn't do well at Texas uh, and the high level of expectation there, but could he bring something different um, 
to IU and, and be able to do well enough there. And even if it is, you know, a stepping stone job for a guy like that, who may want to get back to the upper echelon of whatever, if he gets IU to a point where that's viable, then he's done a great job uh, at that point. So I, you know, to me, I, I worry a little bit about some of the guys who are the, the latest up and comers who are, are there and what can they, you know, can they keep that momentum at a place like IU uh, in its current state? You know, maybe you get the program to a point where eventually you could sustain that. You do have that institutional, uh, you know, that you talked about with Wisconsin. IU doesn't have that right now. So even for as good as a younger guy might be coming up in some of these leagues, uh, you know, it's not an easy place to succeed. So do you roll the dice with somebody like that? And if you're right, maybe you get somebody who's, uh, really generates a lot of momentum just by, you know, kind of force of personality or different things like that. Maybe. Um, but just, just hard to kind of envision a hire like that working as well as maybe some others would. So I don't have specific guys to, to, to be honest, that, that feel like great fits to me. I think the job is such that you could poke holes in damn near anybody that you would Plug You're in. not going to get a, a a home run slam dunk candidate at Indiana. You're just not. It's going to be somebody with something. If they're established, they're going to have something negative in their track record. And if they're up and coming, you're going to question whether or not they can, you know, if it's a coordinator or something, it, it's going to be whether or not they can actually do it. Um, what I will say, and I, I told, I told, I told, you know, in our group text earlier, I said, look, the ideal candidates for Indiana, the, the most likely candidates for Indiana are somebody who's crazy and I don't mean it like I, I I mean in an enthusiastic way is crazy and just thinks they they're the guy who can turn this program around and and make it you know a huge deal um and, you know just irrational confidence um and a little nutty and that's kind of what you got in Kevin Wilson is kind of a weird guy who just thought I can do this um, or you're gonna have to get somebody who's a coordinator coming up and you're giving them the opportunity to step up likely um which has worked out for other programs. I don't know if it will at Indiana. Um, Or you're going to have to get somebody who has a tie to the university or the state. Um, Those are really your options. And so can you find someone who fits those profiles and how high up your list are the people that fit those profiles? That's, that's just what I think. Now they could surprise us, get somebody completely out of left field who doesn't fit any of those categories. That's true. But I'm just saying from a logical standpoint, that's kind of where you're at. Yeah. You know, and it, it's one of those things. I mean, we don't know exactly what Scott Dolson's vision is. I mean, what, you know, what Indiana needs is an actual football identity. We have none, you know? And so, you know, when Wisconsin's going to hire someone, they kind of know what they are as a program. They know what they're going to be able to recruit. And so they have a vision and we just haven't figured that out for Indiana football. Hopefully this coach, whoever it is, will help us do that. Um, but it's hard, you know, it's hard to assess because I think so much of this, Andy, kind of comes down to to what you alluded to, which is what is this person's personality? You know, how do they answer some of these questions? Like if you're talking to Paul Christ, how do you talk to him about how he's going to modernize his offense? Maybe he has good answers to those questions after, you know, working with Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. Who knows? You know, and so some of those things we just aren't going to know when you're just looking at a guy's Wikipedia profile for his record. It's hard to assess from there. So, well, and I think you look at stuff like that and he's in you know, Chris is the example. Like, I don't think he's a guy people are going to get excited about, but I'm not so sure that a guy that people would get excited about, you have no idea whether he can actually do the job right? just because you get or whether or not they say the right things and do whatever. 
like you might be able to really galvanize the fan base, but that stuff all goes away if you can't find ways to win games. I think yeah. we saw that with Allen to an extent, like very inspiring, said the right things, really cared about the program, really cared about the kids. Um, and I think that's great, but that doesn't matter at a certain point when you're winning three big 10 games in three years, you know, that's not going to make people feel any better at the end. That might get them excited, but if that's not backed up by something, so, you know, this kind of feels like, it feels like this is always the way that it goes, particularly in the NFL, right? Like you, you go to the exact opposite of what the guy is that you just had. Paul Chris kind of feels like the opposite of Tom Allen to a certain yeah, extent. It doesn't always work out. Um, yeah, no, but it, exactly. Best- but he, but he would be the guy who's like, yes, he's not going to, nobody's going to get super excited and like rah, rah, whatever. And he's just, maybe that's okay. But um, yeah, it feels I, like you got to figure out how you don't swing the pendulum too far in the other direction, just because what this guy did didn't work out and figure that out. Cause sometimes it works I, I in the NFL and sometimes Ryan, to your point, it absolutely does not. Yeah. So. I mean, and, and honestly, when you're getting a new person, you have no idea if it's going to work out. You really don't. You're rolling the dice. Um, I feel like a younger, newer guy could inject some enthusiasm and energy into the program, which has been missing for a long time. But then again, can he run a program? You know, I mean, that's the, the other thing, the best hire Indiana has made since I've been associated with Indiana is Terry Hepner. And he was a perfect fit for that program. He brought it back to the life. And unfortunately, we know that that ended in tragedy. But that kind of guy would be perfect if you could get somebody who had who has run and established a program, turned out some NFL players at a lower level, and is willing to go to Indiana. That could be great. It's just, will one of those guys be willing to take the job? And um, but But Terry Hepner is the ideal... It's a step up for him, but he's established. He had won games. He had put a big-time quarterback in the NFL who sung his praises. Like There was good stuff going on there with Indiana, and unfortunately, we we know it didn't work out, but that's the kind of guy that's perfect for Indiana. But we'll see if if they can find someone like that. Well, and the other thing you really need in the short term uh, is a guy or a guy who can assemble a staff that really will embrace the transfer portal and has proven to be good evaluators of talent of guys that can step modern in and mesh everybody together. Because quite honestly, you're walking into a, you know, insert Will Smith meme here of standing in the room when Fresh Prince was nobody around. Yeah. Like that's what you're walking into right now. Yeah. So you've got to figure out, you know, guys who have shown some success, maybe at a prior stop that, says, hey, they're good at identifying these guys and getting them to play in their system and mesh them with other guys because at least for the next couple of seasons, that's really what you're going to need. Maybe you don't need to do that as much once you establish something, but in the very near term to be have even a a moderate level of success, you're going to have to do those things because the cupboard is bare even if you're able to re-recruit some of the guys who are, even if you're able to get a Donovan McCauley to stay, who showed great things over the course of the remainder of the, of the end of the season, but you're not going to have a whole lot that's already there. So I, I think that's the other part. And and whether that makes it lean more toward a you know younger, more enthusiastic guy or whatever, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I think that's a absolute qualification of of what uh, of what they're going to need. And the, the other thing to keep in mind, and we can make this the last point. Uh, on this, unless you guys have a response to it, you know, say that the, you know, that Paul Christ is the guy, right? 
You know, one of the most underrated elements of success for an Indiana football coach is attention to detail and just being organized. Like part of the problem for this program is having to compete on too many Saturdays with the little things in the details and talent. You can't win games if you're deficient in both. And one of the things that Bill Mallory's teams always did is they paid attention to the little things. And I know it because my dad talked about it all the time, you know, and so you weren't going to beat Indiana because they were going to beat themselves, right? Now, you might beat them because you have more talent and you have better players. Fine. Indiana's going to lose three or four games like that a year. It just is what it is. The way that you beat those other teams where the talent is even is by just being an organized, professional, serious football program that focuses on the little things. And that's not like the sexiest attribute for a coach, but it often is what a more established coach brings because they have experience doing this. And unfortunately, this is the thing Tom Allen just could never seem to get going, you know, but it's a huge step for Indiana that is actually a really important lever to pull, you know, and our, we want NIL, we want all this other stuff. Like, honestly, we need a professional, serious coach that can run an organized program and pay attention to the little things on the field and off. And that's going to go a long way. So whoever we hire needs to have that in in mind as a foundation for what they build on. So, yeah, I mean, IU just doesn't have the margin for error given the current situation, talent level, whatever. To to loot, you know, those are areas where they need to pick up a small advantage to offset some of the differences in talent and things like that. And it's actually instead, in large part, whether it's game management, whatever, has kind of increase the the gap between them and the opponents and you know that was ultimately one of the things i was most frustrated about like every week it was get in and talk about we got to evaluate this we got to evaluate this we need to do a better job in these situations we need to you know all the lamenting of well i wish we'd been more aggressive here on this play call and then you would show up the next game and do the same damn thing that you just did that lost you the previous game so there's also an element of somebody who has a vision and then you actually see that on the field instead of just the coach speak cliches, whatever of that stuff. And so much of that is in the little stuff. Cause that's what the cliches are all about, right? It's about, we're not going to get, you know, we're not going to give up the, you know, we're going to win the turnover battle. We're going to do all these things. We're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot. We're blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, and those are things that this program talked about doing, but was never really able to do with any consistency um, as the, as the Allen regime went on. Last question we'll get to. Jared asked, uh, any updates on Xavier Johnson's injury? Uh, Ryan, curious you know, if you have anything on this. The way that I'm approaching this is I'm expecting him not to play against Maryland. Not because I have concrete information to that effect, but you know, this is now a couple times he's you know, kind of dealt. And this is, it's a different injury, at least from what I've heard, than what he suffered last year. It's on the different foot. Um, you know, but he wasn't, it didn't look when he was on the bench, like he was icing his ankle. Like it looked like there was something going on with his foot, which is a little bit concerning, you know, at some point if it lingers and I mean, he had to miss a lot of time in the last game, you know, they may want to, you know, end up sitting him down and just making sure that he's ready for the stretch run. So he's questionable. We're not going to get any information. So it's like anything else. You just have to wait and see who's warming up. Um, I'm just kind of approaching it from a fact of expecting him not to play so I can be pleasantly surprised if he does. Um, but I just I didn't think it looked all that optimistic at the Harvard game and, and just what we saw out him on the you know, with him on the bench. I think it would be a surprise if he played. Um but that's not you know it was a that, surprise when he played against surprise UConn. Surprise when too, he played so, yeah. So I uh, I mean we'll see. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts from you guys before we uh close up here and 
Get ready for Friday. First Big Ten Beat game. the Terps. Beat the Terps. That's right. Got to beat the Terps. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights or Tuesday nights or whenever we do the show for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you to Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of Rig Design for designing our logos and our new social media graphics. And thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back on Friday for the IU Maryland postgame show. Until then. Take it from me, A.J. Moye. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Shoot the ball. Here I come, Mr. Stunt Sony. Had to add the shoot the ball in there regularly, Andy, because we need to shoot the ball. We need to shoot the ball. It is important. God, I can't believe we're in another season where shooting is this much of an issue. God. Really like every day, every day that goes by, I miss the Tom Green era more and more. At least they were I mean, exciting to watch on offense. It's so funny. And we were frustrated by the offense there. It's like, well, we make threes. We're going to play well. We miss threes. We're not. We're all frustrated. With good reason. I mean, you need some kind of balance. Yeah. But well, an yeah. offense needs some kind of balance. I mean, let's be real. Like, I, I do hear so many people that tell me, well, they're scoring, they scored 89 points the other night. It doesn't matter. And it's like, okay, if they score 89 points against Maryland or Michigan, okay. I don't care about threes. <laughs> yeah. Now now we can talk a little bit. If yeah. they've done it against UConn, yeah. fine. But like, I just, just I not sustainable. I, I get it. You know, and, and there's a thread of the fan base. You know, as I said in the banner moment, you want to celebrate winning. Winning is awesome. Totally, but we have to recognize we've been around long enough. The stuff that they do in November against teams that aren't Big Ten level does not translate to the Big Ten, and that's all we're saying. We want to see yeah. stuff that's translatable. No, I, I completely agree. And so. um, yeah, like how they played against Army, they would lose to every Big Ten team, like every single yes. one, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, so it's like, well, well, they they wound up winning. It's like I don't care. Like, I mean, I, I'm glad that they didn't lose to Army, but, you know, that, that that doesn't make me feel better about things. So, again, Harvard, I think leaving that game, you feel much better about the team than you did entering it. Um, especially the second half that, is what it showed. The way they like played in the second often. half. Because yeah. the first half, I, I felt the same about the team. And then second half was much, much better. You don't know how much of that was Harvard was excited and playing out of their minds in the first half and kind of came back down to earth and Indiana played better. I think it's both a little bit, but still Indiana comported itself very well in that second half. And so you're feeling like, okay, they did what they're supposed to do. They played the way they're supposed to play. Does that continue against a much better team? We'll see. I mean, we've, we've, we've said endlessly, and it's probably getting annoying at this point is we're not going to know this team until January. We're really not. And, uh, but it's true and it's come true as well. We don't know what we're going to get from them on a game to game basis. Maryland's going to be fascinating. It really is. It, be it's a very, it's one of the more interesting games we've had in the last few years yes. for both teams in it. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, you look at it, again, it just goes back to how did you score those 89 points, right? You, the, the two games I used scored 89 points this year. I was just looking at this on Ken Palm. You're playing possessions in the, mid 70s i think it was 72 against harvard maybe 75 against Wright state i mean you look in big 10 play last year iu got above 70 possessions twice uh no three times actually uh nebraska 
Iowa Northwestern and um, Iowa. That's not super shocking. So you did that and you shot 60, you made two thirds of your two pointers. You shot 66.7% on twos in both games. No, Are you going to be able to do that in big 10 games? No, no you're not. Um, you might be able to shoot a high percentage. You may be able to continue to really make a lot of your, uh, your money there, but you like you had to do both of those things, play in a high possession game and make two out of every three shots you took from two point range. Yeah. And because they didn't really get a lot of free throws in either game. I mean, they got to the line a moderate amount, but not that really wasn't a big factor. And they made, I think three threes in one of those games and four in the other. So you didn't, you didn't shoot any of those. So, I mean, sure, if you're going to score 89 points, that'd be great. But like the recipe for IU doing that in the two games they've done it so far this season is likely not one you can replicate against a, a, a large number of Big Ten teams. Now, you start adding some shooting from McKenzie and Baco in there, like we saw, you know, against Harvard. Now the formula starts to get a little bit better and a little bit better. So there is no reason it can't happen. There's ability, there's guys who can do it that have shown they can do it in the past. Now they just have to actually start doing it. And if that happens, this team can still reach what we thought they would be. We just got to get back to playing on courts that only have one three-point line on it to erase any confusion <laughs> of where we are. Jeez. Uh, yes. All right, gentlemen. Well, thanks All for right. being ready on short notice. Audience, thank you for being ready on short notice. Awesome to have you here Thursday night. Watch the women's team and then come right back here to the YouTube channel and check out Jeff and Kathy for doing the work. All right. Have a good one. I'll see you. Fel- Wait, are you guys both in for Friday? Yes. What's the? Plan? I am. I am out. We're You're traveling out. for Hannah's soccer team. I'll be in North okay. Carolina. I'm hosting so. priorities. Priorities, Andy. So, oh, coach is even going to the game. Well, what are you yeah, going to do? Will be there so. so he can he can pop in live. Maybe he'll pull Jordan Geronimo on the post game show. <clears throat> It'd be a good get. No, great, great kid. Great kid. Jordan was awesome. We'll get to meet him when he came to the event yeah all, all right, right fellas cool later guys have a good night everybody all right. see y'all soon see you guys